so last week, my, my uncle was here, Marlon, um, taught on the first, first little bit of, of Luke 19. So I was like, I'm just going to preach the next little part because um, I wanted to. So we're going to look at Luke 19, 11 through 27. Luke 19, 11 through 27. Uh, you'll find the words on the screen behind me. If you've got them uh, with you, you can, you can follow along there too. Um, before we read, let's pray together. God, as we, as we open your word, as we read this story, um, we just simply pray that you would open us up so that, that we can hear a word from you. We ask that, that you would move. We ask that you would speak. We ask that you would change us, that you would challenge us. In Jesus' name, amen. So while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. So he's like, it's story time with Jesus. Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He's like, listen to this. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one, the first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, the master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second one came, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you can take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you do not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? At least do that much. Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given but as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. That escalated quickly. We'll go that far. So, I don't know. That's just an interesting story, isn't it? Um, yeah, a lot going on. I will tell you, I'm going to warn you up front, um, that there are some times when, when you're, you know, coming up with things to say, when you're coming up with a sermon, uh, you kind of get to the end and you're like, I don't even know how to land this plane. Um, and that's, that's true of this one. So here's what we're going to do at the end. So I'm going to need you to stay awake. 
I'm going to need you to pay attention until we're at the very end, because at that point, I'm going to ask you to participate with me. So we're all going to land the plane together. So I'm going to ask a question, and I, I'm, going to want, I'm not going to give it to you ahead of time, um, but I'm going to want your participation. Uh, so normally you don't get to talk, it's just me. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let go for a little bit at the end. Uh, I've got some ideas, but I want, I want you to participate. I want you to, so sometimes it takes people some time to, to get, you know, to get guts up enough to, to say stuff. So that's what, that's what we're going to do. So in about 20 minutes or so, uh, after I'm done rambling, I'm going to ask a question and we'll see how, we'll see how it ends up. Okay. That feels risky for me. Um, so anyway, so before we get into this little story, which is sort of weird on, on a couple of different levels, I, I think it's important to remind ourselves of the context. And, and, and Marlon did a little bit of this last week, but I just want to remind us uh, this morning. So Jesus and his disciples are, are, are on a little trip. Jesus is taking them from Galilee in the north, and they're headed to Jerusalem in the south. In between those two places... Uh, is, does anybody remember, we've talked about this maybe a dozen times or so, anybody remember what's in between Galilee in the north and Jerusalem in the south? Did we say it? Samaria? Samaria is sort of unfriendly territory, right? Every good Jew knows that you don't go through Samaria, but you go around Samaria, you take the long way around if you're going from Galilee to Jerusalem. Well, Jesus is like, no, we're going through Samaria. He wants them to rub shoulders with people who are different than they are. That's a good thing, according to Jesus. He wants them to rub shoulders with people who think very differently about the world, about God, about spirituality, about how God operates in the world, because apparently Jesus thinks that that's an okay thing, right? He also knows what's going to happen in Jerusalem. He also knows how it's going to end. I mean, right after he tells this little story that we're going to talk about, they enter into Jerusalem, uh, and then bad things happen. And so Jesus knows that the cross is ahead. So he's trying to prepare them. And along this, along this journey through Samaria, he tells them 10 stories, uh, 10 parables. This is the last of those parables, okay? So we're going to walk through it slowly as we go. So Jesus tells the story. There's this royal man. Uh, he's of noble birth. He needed, for some reason, to make a long trip in order to, to get authorization to, to finally become king, and then he was going to come back, right? But first, he got 10 of his servants together, uh, and he gave them some money, in effect saying, hey, you know, put this to work uh, while I'm gone, Right? But the citizens there, Jesus says in the story, hated him. So they sent a delegation after him and said, we don't want this man to be our king. So there's this man. Let's follow the logic of the story. There's this man who wanted to be king, wanted to rule, wanted to make sure his people had everything they needed to have full, happy, healthy, flourishing lives. There's Someone who wants to be king. Now, I think, I think, if there's one thing we can say about, about God, is that God wants to be king. God wants us. God wants to be king. God wants to make sure that, that everybody has everything they need to live full, happy, healthy, 
flourishing lives. It's a theme we find over and over and over again. The divine wants to be in relationship with us human beings. We find it all over the Bible, and it starts early. It starts really early. We know the story. This is way back in Genesis chapter 3, okay? Adam and Eve make a mess of things. They take the fruit they're not supposed to have, and they eat of it. Big mistake. What do they try to do? They sort of, they cover themselves. They try to hide from God. They're ashamed of what they've done, and then they hear God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what is the first thing God says? After, even after they've made a mess of things, what is the first thing God says? Where are you? Where are you? And from then on, the story of the Bible is the story of God searching for human beings. The story of the Bible from Genesis chapter 3 on is God longing to be in relationship with us human beings. That's the story of the Bible, generally. So there's this guy named Abraham Joshua Heschel, probably the most influential Jewish rabbi of the 20th century. Uh, do, do some research. Just Google him. Um, a really amazing person. Uh, sort of helped... Martin Luther King Jr. during the civil rights movement, went on several marches with him, just a fantastic, fantastic person. He wrote a book about the philosophy of the Old Testament. And as a Jewish rabbi, you know, we can have, we can have faith in what this guy has to say about the Old Testament, right? He entitled it this, and I want you to, to forgive the, the gender specificity here. I think if he were alive today, he'd probably say it a little bit differently. But he he entitled his book, God in Search of Man. This is the philosophy of the Old Testament. That's what this book is. And he entitled it, God in Search of Man. I want you to listen to his words. This is the mysterious paradox of biblical faith. God is pursuing humanity. I love this. It is as if God were unwilling to be alone. And he had chosen humanity to serve him. Our seeking him is not only humanity's, but also his concern and must not be considered an exclusively human affair. His will is involved in our yearnings. All of human history as described in the Bible may be summarized in one phrase, God is in search of humanity. Faith in God is a response to God first asking the question, where are you? God wants us. God wants us. The divine wants us, wants to be our king, wants to be in relationship with us. There's one problem. We don't want God. We don't necessarily want God. That's how the story goes that Jesus tells. Listen to it. But his subjects had sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. We don't want him as king. We don't want God. It's another theme that we find over and over and over again in the Bible. In the Bible, you'll find the people of God ignoring God's presence in the world, following uh, really bad political leaders. <laughs> that sounds familiar to somebody. It seems right. 
following really bad political leaders, you'll find the people of God unwilling to listen to the counsel of prophets and priests. And then when God's own son comes, becomes one of us, a human being, because he wants to be king so badly, what do we do? We kill him. After Jesus tells this story, the next thing we know is followers are being welcomed into Jerusalem. It's like this big kingly parade. They're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. God is here to save us, right? But that party didn't last very long because Jesus would then overstep the bounds of the people. He entered into the temple. He overturned the tables because the people there were making, a, a, making it into like a, a lucrative business enterprise, shamelessly selling religion, taking advantage of, of people who were on the margins, people who were on the outside, taking advantage of the poor. He quotes from Isaiah. He quotes from Jeremiah. He's trying to get people to pay attention to the presence of God, but they missed it. And before the week was over, the king was dead, hanging on a cross. We don't want this man to be our king. We don't want God. That's what the story is telling us. And when we look around at the world, it doesn't take us very long to figure out that that that's kind of the way humanity is. In large part, we don't want God. Right? War and violence never seem to end. We have things like chemical weapons. We have things like like nuclear bombs. We don't want God. There are people fleeing war as refugees and being turned away. We don't want God. There are people in this world. Look, look, we have, there's this dual reality that doesn't make any sense. We have people who are multi-billionaires in this world with more money than they'll ever be able to do anything with, really. And then we have people who have No water to drink, no food to eat, no shelter. How does that make any sense? We don't want, we don't want God. We live in a, we live in a world where a teenager can buy an assault rifle. We don't want God. We we chase after things that are either really meaningless or eventually will consume us. And we shamelessly think that we're the ones who rule the world. We, don't, we, we could talk about this all day. Right? That when we look around at the world, it doesn't take us very long to figure out that we just don't want God. We, we don't want God. By and large, humanity doesn't want God. But here's the thing. Here's the biblical story. In spite of all of that, God still wants us. <laughs> what? In spite of the fact that we don't want God, The evidence is abundant. God still wants us. The story goes on that Jesus tells. The man returns with his kingly credentials in hand. He's king now. Before he left, he had given money to some of his servants, in effect saying, here, put this to work while I'm gone. In other words, while I'm gone, I want you to do and work as if I were present. I want you to to put this to work as if I... I were here doing it. He didn't give them specific instructions. He just just trusted that they would figure it out all on their own. And when he returned, the first thing he did was call his servants together to see what happened. Like, how'd you do? Like, what, what went on? First guy came back, super successful. 
right? Made a bunch with what he'd been given. The next guy comes back, made a modest amount, not quite as much, right? But, but successful, he did it. And then this third guy came back and he's like, here's, here's your money back. I didn't do anything. I know you're a hard man. I, I was, you know, to be honest with you, I was a little bit afraid of you. So I just kind of hid it away. But now that you're back, uh, here it is. I didn't want to risk anything because I was, I was afraid. To the first two, the king says, well done, my good servant, because you have been trustworthy or faithful. You get more. But I want us to, import, I want us to notice something important here. It has nothing to do, it praises them, but it has nothing to do with how successful they were. It has nothing to do with how much they made. It had nothing to do with how awesome they were. It had everything to do with how faithful they had been. They risked what they had been given. They went about doing what the king would have been doing had the king still been present. They were faithful. But the third was timid. The third did nothing. The third didn't want to participate. So what he had was taken away from him. The first two are commended because they're trustworthy. Not because they were successful. Not because they built something big and huge and awesome. But because they risked it all. They were faithful. They risked being associated with the man that nobody else wanted to be king. And because they were faithful, they didn't get rewarded. What did they get? They got more work, more responsibility. And then there's this last guy who puts his, his, his responsibility in a rag and he shoves it under his mattress. He doesn't risk anything. He doesn't want to risk being associated with, with the man that nobody else wanted to be king. The king demands risk. The king demands participation. So I love this. When, when Google was first designing its, its web search engine, uh, the people at Google took a, a really big risk. Uh, the internet is designed. What's the internet for? It's the design to give us as much information as possible as quickly as possible, right? Now, other search engines at the time, like Yahoo and Microsoft, uh, they were loading their home pages with tons and tons of information, as much information as they possibly could, assuming that would make them popular. It's good, it's big, it's impressive, it's exactly what people are coming for, all kinds of information. They just flooded it with all kinds of information. And Google took a risk. Instead of flooding their, their website, their search engine, with all kinds of information, they made it really, really simple. Back then there were 44 words on there. It's still true today. If you look at other search engines, all just flooded with all kinds of information. Google kept it simple. They made the assumption that people knew what they were looking for and didn't need to be bombarded with all sorts of other information that would just get overwhelming and confusing. And you know what? They took a risk and that risk paid off. 75% of search engine searches on the internet are done through Google. Where do you go to do your searching? Good. What? Ask Jeeves. Just kidding. <laughs> Bing? You go to Bing? You use Bing? Oh, man. You're weird. <laughs> so do you say, 
I binged it. <laughs> no. You say, I Googled it. Even if you use Bing, you probably say, I Googled. They own it because they took a big risk, right? And the risk paid off. They own the competition. And we, we see things like this all the time. We hear stories about this all the time, that they're, they're compelling, they're inspiring. People risk everything to build a business, to invent a product, to, uh, to make lives better for themselves and their families, right? A lot of us will take risks out there. But what about, what do, what do we risk following Jesus? Like, do we take risks in following Jesus? Here's the deal. Jesus has given to us abundantly. But how many of us are willing to, to risk our lives, our businesses, uh, our homes, our stuff, our reputations in order to follow Jesus? How much are we willing to give up? How much are we willing to risk? Are we, are we willing to risk looking foolish in order to, to follow Jesus? How many of us are risking anything at all? What about us? Dallas Willard contends that not many of us Christians in the West are willing to risk much. Right? He says we follow Jesus for the salvation part, the promise of of heaven part, but it's the changing of our lives right now part that we just don't want much to do with. And we're not willing to put in the hard work it takes in order, to, in order to follow Jesus, in order to become more like Jesus. We're not willing to participate in the kingdom business. Listen to what he says. This quote, I've used it before. It, it stops me. Most Christians fall into the category of what we might call vampire Christians. People who, in effect, say to Jesus, I'd like a little of your blood, please, but I don't care to be your student or have your character. In fact, won't you just excuse me while I get on with my life and I'll see you in heaven? Those are sobering words. Vampire Christians. I'd like a little of your blood, please but I don't care to be your student or to have your character. In fact, why don't you just excuse me while I get on with my life and I'll see you in heaven when I get there. I think many, many people who follow Jesus today love the salvation heaven part, but the participating in the kingdom part, reordering our lives around Jesus's values, living like Jesus, having his character formed in us, that's the hard stuff. That's the tough stuff. That's the risky business. That's the risky. Right? So the gist of the story that Jesus tells is God wants us, even in spite of, of what we've done, in spite of us communicating to the divine that we really don't want God, God wants us. God still wants us. And God has given us in overabundance. And God wants us to use that to participate with to participate with God in what he's doing in the world. Non-participation in the kingdom has very real consequences. Playing it safe, living risk-free, not putting to good use the things that God has given us has consequences according to the story. To put it bluntly, what does the king say? You know, bring him here and let's kill him. It leads to, it, it leads to the dying off of things. It leads to, it leads to death. 
Eugene Peterson says, a timid refusal to obey makes us liable to the same judgment as overt and defiant defiant disobedience. So, what does it look like to risk everything to follow Jesus today? That's my question. I don't know how to land this plane. You're on board. You have to save us. Or we're going to crash and burn. And it's like, that was a big nothing burger. So now we we get to the, the heart of it. What does it look like to risk following Jesus today? What does it look like? That's your question. I gave you 20 minutes to get up guts. I realize you just got the question. What does it look like? Just say it. You don't have to raise your hand or anything. I'll probably repeat it so we all can hear it. You got some Jeopardy music you can throw on? Giving, generosity, risking your stuff. Yeah. Loving all people. Inviting somebody to be a part of what God is up to here. Yeah, that's risky. Say that again. Going against the flow. Yeah. One more time. Opening up our spaces. Yeah. Just had a realization this morning when when Andrea, talking to Andrea, she talked about we got through the heat wave. Right? She works with people who are struggling with shelter. And none of us thought, hey, we've got a building that has AC in it. Can we help? It's a conversation we need to have. That's that's risky. What else? How else do we risk? Say that one more time. Some of them having a false idea of you before you're even talking to them. I feel that one. I feel that one hard. Because sometimes, sometimes I feel like just being identified as a Christian these days, sometimes I feel like that's a risk. Not because of Jesus, not because of the ways of Jesus, not because of the things that Jesus said and did, but because of, of some things that Jesus' people do, have done, are doing today. Sometimes when I'm talking to somebody who doesn't know what I do and they ask me the question, what do you do for a living? Sometimes I feel like it's a risk for me to tell them because instantly people think something of me. And then I have to get, I have to say, I'm a pastor, but not that kind of pastor. I lead a church, but not that kind of church. And there has to be all sorts of caveats in there, right? Sometimes, it's a, sometimes that even feels like a risk, right? Because some of the, the policies and political leaders that are being supported and lifted up, it, it, sometimes that feels like a risk today, even just, doesn't it? 
Do you feel that? Does anybody else feel that? Okay. Maybe we, maybe we risk... Maybe we be like Google. <laughs> Just said the church should be like Google. That's funny. Maybe instead of being big and flashy, having everything out there that just clouds stuff, maybe, maybe the church today and the church of the future, the church that's actually going to survive, maybe we need to keep things a little bit more simple. Maybe that's our risk. Maybe we risk not being flashy. Maybe we risk being simple. Maybe we risk being a community that creates a community of, of love and acceptance. And maybe we just continue to risk giving ourselves away. Even when, even when we're like, we don't know if we have the funds to make it another three years, we just continue to give ourselves away. Maybe that's what we do. Um, maybe that's the risk. I don't know. Anything else? This is a fun conversation. Anything else? Something's burning on somebody's tongue. What else can we risk? What about personally? Maybe you need to just think about it. No, thank you. <laughs> Loving your enemies. Yeah. Losing credibility for standing up for a specific group. We know what that's like. We know what that's like. And yet we're still here. Anyway, I think we've landed. All right, let's pray.